sports? Do you like beer? Do you love sports and beer? Then you're exactly where you need to be. This is the Huge Views and Brews Show on 1252 Sports Chicago. Cheers. How is everyone doing on this Monday night, the uh, third straight day of wildcard playoff games? I uh, hope you're getting ready to enjoy the Cardinals and the Rams. And, uh, heck, you can do like me. Have it out in the background and still keep an eye on me. I'm keeping an eye on the computer, and I'm keeping an eye on the game. As the uh, I like the Cardinals. Uh, the Rams make silly mistakes, and Stafford turns the ball over too much. Even though I wasn't impressed with the Cardinals down the stretch, I think the Cardinals are going to uh, come on and win this game. It's their time. Uh, and I hate Jalen Ramsey. Can I say that? I guess I can. It's my show. Uh, I hate Jalen Ramsey. He's a arrogant, pompous cornerback. Um, I'll be nice there. So, yeah, I don't like Jalen Ramsey. And I hope they uh, go after him. I know they don't have Hopkins. Um, I know that um, the Cardinals have been struggling. They lose four, was it four out of the last five weeks after beating the Bears. But uh, I think they're going to figure out a way to win today, and I sure hope they do. Um, hope you've enjoyed the games over the weekend. We're going to talk about all of them in just a minute. It is Hubes Views and Brews. At around 7.30, we'll have John Brand from Open Outcry Brewing on with us. Uh, he's got a great place down there, 109th and Western. We'll talk with him for a little while later in the show. But because it's Hubes Views and Brews, um, and I got to tell you something. If you're going to have a party, a football party, and have guys over to watch football, Make sure you invite a brewery owner because yesterday I invited Paul Ivnick from uh, Nick and Ivy and he brought 24 cans of his beer and we did a pretty good job on that 24 cans. Okay. It was just me, basically me and him drinking it. Um, and I had one I had not had before. It is called, I had to write it down because I didn't even know the name of it. It is called learned on the street stout. Okay. This is his generic label for his Nick and Ivy stuff. Um, it's an oatmeal cookie with chocolate chips. Now, I had no idea what I just said. On it, it just says the street and stout. Okay. So I wasn't sure what it was going to taste like. And my God, I think he brought four of them. I may have drank three. Um, again, I was in the in this humble or the, the safe um, surroundings of my basement, uh, along with my two brothers. Mike and his um, uncle Joe and Paul, and uh, we had a great time. My goddaughter Taylor stopped by with her boyfriend Matt, and um, we had a good time, really good time. But this learned on the street stout from Nick and Ivy is very, oh my, it's very, very tasty. And it's about six, six and a half percent alcohol by volume. Very, very good beer. If you get a chance, run on over to Nick and Ivy. Um, and Lockport and um, check it out. So we'll talk a lot of beer with John Brand from Open Outcry. Um, get into a couple other beer things. Uh, next week, we're going to have Ike Orcutt from uh, Buckle Down Brewing. They have a big mug club uh, thing going on tonight. Uh, hopefully some of the mug club members will catch this later on in the replay. Um, I am getting a little tired of starting shows talking about friends who have passed away. And yesterday when we were here at my house watching the games, we got the word that Les Grobstein had passed away. Well, when I first started working at Sports Phone in 1977, Les was already there. Les was the guy working during the days, coming up with the quickie quizzes and things like that. And um, it was awesome. Getting to work a little bit alongside Les. He was there during the days. I was usually there at nights and weekends, so I didn't work a lot with him on Sports Phone, but I heard him quite a bit, but over the years, I was, uh, I consider less a good friend. Um, he passed away yesterday at the age of 69 and, um, he, the last 15 years, he didn't work like the healthiest shift in the world. Okay. Maybe 25 years, uh, maybe more, but when you're a solo host on an overnight from midnight to five in the morning, it's not 
the healthiest of shifts to work, okay? Because um, Les would usually be at a game, and he would come to the show immediately following a game. And he would have post-game interviews, and he would have sound and all this kind of stuff, and he'd break down the game he was at, baseball, Sox, Cubs, uh, Blackhawks, Bulls, whatever it might be. Les could have stayed home, rested all the way up until maybe halftime, and then come on in. And But no, that wasn't Les. Les, if there was a game going on, Les wanted to, and I think in his opinion, had to be there. And um, he was, uh, you've heard a lot of things about Les if you read on Facebook or on Twitter throughout the course of the day and all the other things. I know a couple people, I know uh, David Schuster is going to try and throw a, a podcast on here on 1252 tomorrow. We're talking with a bunch of Les's friends, talking about him and remembering Les and there's a couple things you can say about Les. He was very quirky. He was one of a kind. He had an encyclopedic memory. He could remember everything in sports. Um, Gary Lee is a guy that used to run the traffic, um, shadow traffic it was called here in Chicago. And Gary Lee had a quote from one of his, you know, one of the remembrances of Les and said that, in order to get a job with shadow traffic, Gary Lee would come up with a 30-question quiz for all of the employees to be. And everybody had to take the quiz to see how they were doing, how well they knew Chicago. Did they know where Hubbard's Cave was? Did they know, you know, this on-ramp and everything else and the directions? And because, you, you you know, even though the Stevenson is um, east and west, it's not. It's a north and south expressway, I know. It blows my mind, too, but I used to have to deal with that, too. Um, Les took the test. He goes, listen, Gary, he goes, I'm not working with you, but I'd love to take the test. And he did. And he got 30 for 30. Les had a really great memory. He never liked talking about politics, kind of like me, but he he was very, very knowledgeable. I think he was one of those guys where when he read something, when he saw something, he never forgot it. And um, he was a great guy. He really was a wonderful guy. Um, did not have a mean bone in his body. But he didn't have a mean bone in his body. But everybody that ever knew Les had at least one, if not many more, arguments with him. Because Les, sometimes you'd think you'd catch Les in a mistake. Or sometimes you'd, and you, damn it, he was usually right. He was almost always right. And um, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the Chicago Radio All-Stars when on David's um, Schuster Express, we did a show when I retired with a lot of guys from Sports Phone. And Chris Bowden hung up, held up one of the Sports Phone jerseys. But we had a group called the Chicago Radio All-Stars. People from radio stations, from Sports Phone, a lot of things. We played softball against other people, charity or sometimes not even charity, just a game, get a game together. And Les came up with jerseys. So here's a, here's a crash jersey. Got my name on the back, Hubner, number 10, and all that stuff. And I got another one here. The amazing part of these is Les will get us the jerseys. And we go, Les, let us pay for the jerseys. He goes, no, 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 you don't have to pay. He goes, I got sponsors for us. I go, you got sponsors for a radio all-star team? So here, here's, um, what the hell is this one? O'Hare, O'Hare Cast Pub. Never heard of this place, okay? And then we got one here. I think it's Midway. Oh, Glenmark. Glenmark um, Stakes. Les would go out, get sponsors, while he was doing all this other stuff. Get sponsors, get the jerseys made, get our sizes, have everything worked out. He's just an amazing guy. Oh, here it is. We had, we had sponsors on both sides. We were the original, uh, I guess, the original NASCAR people. Here you go. Midway Airlines. You got Midway Airlines to sponsor us as a uh, softball team. And Les would organize everything. He'd let us know, I got a game split scheduled here. I got two this weekend. We got it Thursday. Sometimes we'd have four games, four softball games against different people. Les was a unique guy. He was a great guy. He worked weird, wacky hours. And um, I'm going to miss him because if you were at a sporting event in the press box, he'd come up. And if you were sitting at a higher level, he'd always like tap the, the table in front of you and get your attention and say, hey, what's going on? How are you? And um, Every time you saw Les, you'd just go, man, he's everywhere. And he was. He was always everywhere. And um, now he's not going to be, you're not going to see him around. And um, I haven't seen Les in a while. I saw him at, unfortunately, I saw him at Jerry Cook's 
uh, week, uh, several months back, uh, Jerry Cook, a guy that did work for uh, ESPN and for WMAQ back in the days, he passed away about six months ago. So I had Jerry Cook, and we've had Les Grobstein pass away. And, of course, we all talked about Jeff Dickerson a while back. Um, Bob Saget was 65. I'll be 65 in May. And I tell my brothers and sisters and um, friends, I say, you know, the, the sad part is, um, from what I understand, we're all going to die. Okay? And um, But the older I get, the more people I know are going to pass away. It's just a fact. As you live longer, people are going to die and it's going to happen and um it sucks when it doesn't surprise you anymore when i heard les passed away yesterday i was not surprised nothing surprises you and that's sad um i don't know if it's a defense mechanism so you don't um you don't feel so bad you don't feel so awful but um there's a gofundme for les's son scott is trying to put one together to pay for the funeral i don't quite understand why they need that i know that i saw some things earlier today about insurances and things like that i know it's really difficult um thanks aaron it is tough about less aaron one of my uh, students when i was at the illinois media school um so anyway just wanted to make sure we talked a little bit about less because he was an awesome guy a different guy you'll never meet another guy like less uh, he worked with the great, some of the greats in radio in Chicago, worked with Larry Lujak, who would just dump on him all the time. We worked with Steve Dahl, um, and they would make fun of him too, but you made fun of him because he was your guy and you could do that. And, um, yeah, he will be missed. So, um, the playoffs, NFL playoffs. I know it's a strange transition, transition, but uh, that's what you got to do. Let me actually here for the transition. I'll take another sip of the uh, learned on the street stout. Mm. Okay, the playoffs started the other day, and people talk about the best weekend in in football, and some say it's wild card weekend. And I used to think that. The last couple of years, I'm starting to think that the championship weekend is better because a lot of teams have played already they've won games the teams that have buys are going to kick in now and now we have four games coming up next week let's talk about the five that were played so far the two on saturday first game of the day good game vegas and cincinnati joe burrow fun to watch jamar chase look they didn't hit t higgins till the fourth quarter with this first pass um it was a really good game i thought Derek carr impressed the hell out of me he really did. Some of the throws he made, um, I think they're – he's a weird quarterback because you can see him play, and he looks very, very good, and you see him play again, and he's just uh, not so good. Uh, but I guess that's one of the um, things in the NFL. It's uh, very, very good defenses uh, can shut down other good offenses. Cincinnati wins 26-19. Joe Burrow played very, very well. Uh, Rich Bisaccia should be the coach going forward of the Las Vegas Raiders. Now I've heard a lot of people say you just move them in from the interim tag and take the interim off and just make them the head coach. You can't do that nowadays because of the Rooney rule. If there's an opening, you've got to interview a certain number of people, um, minorities and everything. And then Rich Passaccia could be given the job, but what the job he did, I thought was very, very good. Um, he did not complain about some of the uh, situations, the rule and the, the play in that game where, Joe Burrow's rolling to the right. He gets, it looks like he's almost out of bounds. He was very close to being out of bounds. As he's going out of bounds, he throws the pass and it's caught in the back of the end zone. And some people were saying, well, the whistle blew. The play should have been dead immediately. That technically is the rule. And because the officiating crew did not go by the letter of the law, they will not be officiating anymore in the postseason this year. Now, it's a silly rule because the players did not stop. The player for Las Vegas did not stop defending the play. Because if you go back and look at it, the whistle blew when the ball was about four feet from the receiver's hands. Okay. He was going to catch the ball. He did catch the ball. And um, so he did not stop. The defender didn't stop defending. Uh, he may have thought that Burrow was out of bounds, but there was no whistle until the ball was just about past the defender. It wasn't in the hands of the receiver, but it was a pretty, you know, so 
technically it should have been brought back. They should have ran the play over again. But realistically, if you're watching the game, it was a good call and the whistle was shouldn't have been there. So it's really another referee screw up. So I guess there's two reasons why this refereeing staff and crew will not be doing any more games. One, because the guy blew the whistle and the other one, because they did not go by the letter of the law. Okay, so that was the first game of the day. Then the second game, New England against Buffalo, cold. We saw rainy weather before earlier this year when New England ran the ball, what, 40-some times and threw three passes. I thought the Patriots would keep the game close. I didn't think Josh Allen would come out. And um, he just, as as my guy Mike uh, running the show today mentions, he's just got cheat, cheat code moves. He's just doing all kinds of amazing things. He's finding open receivers. He was perfect. Every time they had the ball, they scored. And um, Buffalo, a 47-17 win over New England. I was disappointed. I thought that game would be better. So at that point, we had two games in on Saturday. One good, one bad. Then we go to Tampa and Philadelphia. Philadelphia sucks. I don't know how Philadelphia made the playoffs. I know they ran the ball a lot in the second half of the season. They made it close after the um, Tampa Bay took a 17-0 lead into the half. Uh, 31-15 the final. Uh, Brady, 29 for 37, two touchdowns. He hits Evans. He hits Gronk. Why could you not hit Cameron Brait? I had Cameron Brait there on uh, some money on him. That didn't work. So Tampa and uh, Tom Brady advance. Nothing new for Tom Brady. It's just amazing when you see seven Super Bowl rings for this guy. Then my Niners, okay? And I've got my Niner helmet right here. And had the Niner helmet on my head yesterday. This big, this big melon fit into this helmet yesterday. Now the helmet's got some nice padding in the inside. I guess years ago it was probably a nice, nice helmet in that. But it's just been sitting by my fireplace down here. And I went to try it on Fat Mike's head, and that uh, that wasn't going to work. Uh, but I tried it there. There you go. There you see the picture of me with the helmet on yesterday. Now, getting the helmet over my ears and my head was tough. Taking it off afterwards was tougher. My ears were like ripped off as I was pulling this helmet off. And I will not try it again. Well, on a dare or for a beer, maybe I would. But anyway, not today. Um, and it was uh, it was very, very funny. Uh, Mike took the picture. My brothers were laughing. They said, we didn't think you'd be able to get that off your head. And yeah, I got a big head. Uh, it's an extra large. There's no doubt. I haven't gotten two X large yet, but, um, so I, I was watching a game Niners Cowboys. I don't like the Cowboys. I've been watching long enough. The Cowboy Niner rivalry over the years, some great, great games back in the day when Steve Young was on, um, it does. <laughs> Bill now says it looks exactly like the bobblehead behind me. That's one of those things that you put a, you hit the button and it kind of dances. Go, go Niners. You can see it in the corner. Uh, when we take down the uh, the uh, the writing, but yeah, it, it looks exact. There it is. I look exactly like that guy in the corner. And uh, my girlfriend Linda, she showed the picture to someone today, and she goes, "Yep, I know how to pick them." And uh, yeah, that was one of the stranger things I've done. But anyway, I've seen enough of the Niner uh, Cowboy rivalries, and they're always good games. And this one was uh, it was pretty good. It was a pretty good game. Uh, obviously, for me. The Niners run the ball, and they run the ball like crazy. They rush for 169 yards, and that's the one thing the Niners can do. They've always been able to do it under Kyle Shanahan is run the football. And you have Elijah Mitchell, who ran the ball really well, and then you have Debo Samuel. And you talk about cheat codes. Debo Samuel can catch the ball. He can run the ball. He's got tremendous moves. He is an unbelievable player, and it was great watching him. the Niners get the 23-17 win. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo throws a fourth-quarter interception. Garoppolo, as um, <laughs> John Rock Mamola, our guys, my guy, says, Wild Card Weekend at Fred's always brings out the character. Yep, it does. Rock and uh, Matt Weber and a bunch of other guys used to come on out to the house for Wild Card Weekend. I loved Wild Card Weekend. Always loved in, uh, inter- in, uh, inviting all the producers and all the other guys uh, that worked at the station. And worked with me for Wild Card Weekend, and uh, I tried to get back to that <clears throat> this year. So Jimmy G throws a fourth quarter interception. That's not unusual. Jimmy G does that uh, at times, and that's something you have to be concerned about going forward if you're a Niners fan like me. Uh, we'll talk about their game, game coming up in a second. 
but then at the end of the game, there's 14 seconds left. And if you watched ESPN at all today, Dan Orlovsky broke it down. I know that on the pregame show of the, the Monday night game here, they were talking about it. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys completely blew it. Prescott had the ball with 14 seconds to go. And what he did was he ran a play where he ran, slid, went down, tried to spot the ball themselves. The referee comes in and spots the ball because the referee has to touch the ball between each and every play. By time they were able to then spike it, time ran out. They did not get another playoff. That's on the Cowboys. Everyone's blaming McCarthy. I don't know that I'm, I would necessarily blame the head coach. It's Dak Prescott and the rest of the players for lollygagging after the play. Get your damn people, you know, get back to the line of scrimmage so everything can happen. They didn't do that in time. Time ran out. Final score, 23-17. And then Dak Prescott said he had no problem with the fans throwing stuff, not only at the referees, but also at his own players. He said, I have no problem with the fans throwing things. Listen, fans can boo all they want. You want to swear at people. That's your, that's, you know, what you can do, your prerogative. You should never, ever throw anything out of field, ever. Um, people used to throw pennies on a, a hockey rink. You guys, the players would hit their skate on the coin and then go sliding. Don't ever throw things at a, a sporting event. If you do and I'm there, I'm going to point you out and have you kicked out. Just warning you ahead of time. And then, uh, but it's, it's and fans were throwing stuff everywhere. And obviously the game was over. So they're going to get, they're going to leave anyway. So. But brutal. And uh, Dak Prescott has to get better. You look at the quarterbacks. There were winners yesterday, okay, this weekend. Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott a loser. Jimmy G hanging on and getting a win. Then we had Patrick Mahomes at the end of the second game, the last game. We knew this was going to be a blowout. This is when people slowly but surely started leaving the house. We're going to leave a little early, get on the road before this one gets to 42-11, to 11, the final score. That's not right. 42-21, final score in that game. And uh, Kansas City beats uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, Mahomes, 404 yards, five touchdowns. And I cannot wait for next week now. Okay, right now you got the Cardinals and the Rams going at it, no score. And um, that was, uh, we'll see. We'll keep an eye on it, see how this game goes. I'm looking forward to Arizona, like I said, trying to win this one. So we the, the NFC Divisional uh, round, the winner of this game will take on Tampa on Sunday at 2 o'clock. The other game is my Niners going against the Green Bay Packers. My neighbor is a Packer fan. I was at his house. His house looks exactly like my basement, except all the Niners stuff I have in my basement would be replaced by uh, Packer things. Everything's green and gold in his house next door. And um, the Packers are an early five-and-a-half-point favorite. That's Saturday at 7.15. Cannot wait. The Niners and the Packers, and the Niners have handled the Packers over the years. We'll see how it plays this week. Um, Niners are relatively healthy going in. Bosa, I guess, had a concussion, but I think he's going to be okay. Uh, we'll see, and uh, looking forward to that one. The AFC Divisional Round, cannot wait. Cincinnati against Tennessee. The Titans are a three-and-a-half-point pick. They are the number one seed in the AFC. That'll be a Saturday game at 330 before the um, Niners and the uh, uh, Packers game. And then Buffalo and Kansas City. And the spread there is two and a half. <laughs> My brother says good reason to move because I have a Packers fan living next to me. Um, Buffalo and Josh Allen, they have their defense in. Devin Singletary, where you been all year? Well, he showed up at the uh, in the playoff game this past weekend. So uh, Buffalo against Kansas City in KC, minus two and a half. The uh, Chiefs are a two and a half point favorite. That is Sunday at 530, the final game of uh, the championship weekend. So like I said, I used to think that wild card weekend was the best. And then some of the games we got not so good. You figure five games going into today, two of the five were good. The other ones blowouts, 47-17, 31-15, and then that Kansas City game last night. So. I'm starting to lean towards the divisional round being the best round. Obviously, championship Sunday is great. You have the top four teams. I like calling it the NFL Final Four. And I don't know that uh, you would technically call that. I think the Final Four might be trademarked or something. But, um, yeah, that's what you get on championship Sunday. And that'll be the 30th, the Super Bowl, then coming up on February 13th. Another sip of this down here. 
So, enjoying the heck out of the playoffs. Cannot wait for uh, next weekend. Cannot wait when the podcast is over. I'm going to saunter on over and uh, watch the rest of this game and see how Arizona and the Rams are and uh, which one goes forward. So, um, before we start talking some beer, before we bring in our guy, John Brand, um, let's take a quick break. A couple words from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. It gives me more time to have a little beer. Hello, this is Paul from Nick and Ivy Brewing Company. We are located at 1026 South State Street in historic downtown Lockport, Illinois. We are very excited to be partnering up with the Fat Mike Chicago Sports Show as well as the 1252 brand because we are one of the few Chicagoland breweries that embrace sports and sports culture. Come in for a fresh brewed beer made right here in Lockport while catching the game of your favorite team. Stay for the live music that we have booked every weekend or just come for a cozy atmosphere to enjoy a good conversation with a friend, loved one, or complete stranger. Nick and Ivy makes you feel right at home no matter what the occasion is. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Nick and Ivy Brewing Company. Visit our website for our up-to-date tap list or to go shopping on our online store at nickivybrewing.com. That's N-I-K-I-V-Y brewing.com. Come in today for a fresh brewed beer born and raised in Lockport, Illinois. Hi, I'm Jonathan Darren, licensed real estate broker with Cobble Banker Real Estate Group in Homer Glen. Are you looking to buy or sell? Have you been disappointed in the past? The Jonathan Darren team with Cobble Banker Real Estate Group focuses on providing you with a concierge level of service during the process of buying or selling. We are a service-oriented team with a fresh and professional approach to selling real estate. Our goal is to combine knowledge, skills, and passion to exceed our clients' expectations, and most of all, we truly care. We are a knowledgeable real estate team focused on offering expertise and innovative solutions for our clients. The Jonathan Darren team has five full-service real estate brokers and a dedicated full-time marketer servicing all of Chicagoland. We will customize a detailed plan around your timeline for a sale, purchase, investment, estate, or other needs. Real estate transactions can be stressful, but don't need to be. Let us handle it for you. Visit our website, homesbyjdt.com, or call 708-308-1938 today. Expect better in real estate. Choose the Jonathan Darren team. Honey, will you marry me? Yes, yes, yes! Let's get out of here. Come to Indiana's premier venue. Come to the farm. Come see all the wildlife. Come to White Oak Farm Venue in Michigan City, Indiana. Come to our 80-acre sanctuary right off I-94 in Michigan City, Indiana. Come see all we have to offer from two brand-new Amish-built barns with climate control. Come see the ponds with beautiful waterfalls, meadows and wildflowers, and so much more. Come see our secluded venue. After you enter our private road, you'll be in your own world away from it all, with outdoor ceremony spaces, wood-fired pizza ovens, and lots of fresh air. Come enjoy Northwest Indiana's premier wedding venue, where you gather with your family and friends. Stretch your legs and enjoy the most memorable day of your life. Visit White Oak Farm Venue at whiteoakfarmvenue.com or on Facebook slash Instagram. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with uh, Hubes Views and Brews. And um, I mentioned earlier that, uh, I mean, much earlier, when I first started doing this podcast, I think back in April, um, that I wanted to do the podcast. Mike asked me and I said, yes, as long as I can talk sports and beer, because those are two things I think I know a little bit about. And we bring in a guy who knows beer uh, a lot better than me. John Brand from Open Outcry Brewing. John, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Fred. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing wonderful. Um, you got a great location out on uh, 109th and Western, 10934 Southwestern. We'll talk about that. You're the proprietor and the brewer. Um, but before we get into your place, I want, it was, I want to tell a story. Um, my guy, Chet Brett, and anybody that knows Chet, he was on the show with us, um, boy, months ago. And I'm sure he'll be on again. He wants to talk about his Glenbard West basketball team. That's number one in the state right now. Um, but we're standing in line at the Festival of Barrel-Aged Beers, Wooden Barrel-Aged Beers at Fobab, about three years ago. And 
I'm standing in line and I'm drinking a beer from a place called Open Outcry. And all of a sudden, you know, Chet's standing next to me and it's really crowded. And he said, you got to meet the guy that owns this place. And I said, I'm looking forward to it. And it turns out you were standing right behind me at the time. And we turned around and we started chatting. And, uh, you know, like a lot of people, you had heard me on the radio and stuff like that. And uh, very, very cool. But uh, it's it was it was very cool to meet you finally because Chet kept saying, you got to meet this guy. He said, Chet, you're introducing me to like a million people. I don't know how I'm going to remember everybody's name. But uh, that was cool. And since then, you guys have been doing uh, tremendous over the last several years. Um, I wanted to ask you, how and when did you decide to open not only a brewery, but a place that's got a full kitchen? And basically, I looked at your your food menu and you got appetizer sandwiches, a Neapolitan pizza. Um, when did you do it? How long was the planning stage? And did you know it was always going to be not only a brewery, but also beer and food? Yeah. A lot of I questions can, there. A lot of I'll questions. Walk, I'll, walk you, I'll walk you through all that. Uh, okay. Before, before we before we talk about beer, I, going back to that story three and a half years ago, it was it was a thrill to meet you, and it's a thrill to be on the show with you because I I grew up listening to you on, uh -huh. on the radio, and uh, when I heard Chet talking to you and I heard your voice, I'm like, is that Freddie? Freddie standing next to me. So yeah, I I've been listening to you for what thirty years. I remember the mic going back to the six seventy days and yeah. and uh, uh, the, you know the. Uh, the Mike Murphy show and all that. So yep. it's, a thrill, it's a thrill to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, so to answer your question, how did I end up in the situation that I'm in right now with running a brewery and a restaurant on the south side of Chicago? My my story my story is very similar to uh, a lot of folks that get into the brewing industry that you've you've interviewed and talked to on on your on your show, and it yeah. started with a with a love and a passion for for beer. I, I got into uh, craft beer, probably sort of introduced to it in the late 90s by my father, who was uh, uh, loves to drink beer, loves to talk about beer, and him and his, him and his buddies would go out uh, every weekend and find um, find bars on the south side of Chicago that were selling something different than American Light Lagers, and he introduced me to, uh, to beers. And then when, um, after I graduated from college, when I would take time off or go do uh, get, get out of the city and do things. I usually found myself driving around uh, northern Indiana and southwest Michigan, checking out different breweries and going to different places. And then, of course, homebrewing. Uh, I took in 2005, I took a homebrewing class uh, at a local homebrew shop here in the Beverly Morgan Park neighborhood. And then after that, it was um, it was every weekend, uh, every weekend of my life, brewing in my basement, brewing in my kitchen. And um, and then slowly over time, uh, the love for beer combined with uh, an itch, an entrepreneurial itch that um, I felt like in my mid-30s I had to scratch led me to uh, spending a couple of years writing a business plan, convincing myself that I can quit my job, and then ultimately walking into my, my boss's office and saying, hey, uh, I, I'm giving you notice, and then them asking me if I've lost my mind. <laughs> well, and it's got to be, it had to be difficult because it's not like you leave and all of a sudden you're opening the next day. How long did it take from the time you said, I'm going to leave to the day you opened your place? Sure. Uh, well, I think I spent a good two years writing a business plan and um, just regurgitating my thoughts and putting it on paper and beating it up and then sharing that with people and asking them if they thought this was a good idea or a bad idea and getting feedback from folks. Uh, then I had, then I spent another year or so convincing uh, my wife that uh, that this yeah. that I'm not gonna, that I'm not going to put us in the poorhouse or that we're going to lose our house. Uh, at the time, I the company I was working for at the time, I, I I had worked really hard for those people for a very long time, so they 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 were supportive throughout the entire process. In fact, for the last six months of my time there, they let me work part time so that I could. Uh, uh, I could work on building out the brewery here in the restaurant and work downtown three days a week as well. So I was very fortunate to have the support not only from my friends and family, but from my employer at the time. And without that, I don't know how I could have gotten it gotten it done. But from start to finish, uh, when I first started writing business plan and when we opened up the doors, it was probably a good four years. Okay, because I've only I've only had the chance to be at your place one time. And I know we've gone back and forth and we've talked a lot more than that. And I've actually heard you on radio and 
you and Chet actually did a show on JOL a while back, and I heard heard some of that. You've done a few shows like that, and I've had a chance to listen to those things. Yeah, but when I, I first walked, yeah, I spent a lot of time doing some work with Scott Childers and uh, and Chet at WJOL in Joliet. That was that was a lot of fun as well. Yeah, it is. It's a lot of fun, and it's yeah. it's nice working in. Uh, Basically, at JOL, it's like a free-form thing. I mean, you can you can get in and talk. It's not a set thing. You know, you be, you plus you guys are be talking about beer one segment. The next thing you'd be talking about things. I'm going, how the hell does John know about this? Maybe you did, maybe you didn't, but you guys did a good job of pulling it off. Yeah. Yeah. So, you just, yeah, you just use big words and make it sound like you know what you're talking about. Exactly, exactly. But when I first got there, the thing that amazed me the most is first the location and you don't have a small space. I mean, you've got a big space for the bar, the restaurant, and then the kitchen area, and you've got the rooftop beer garden. Um, a lot of people when they're going to open, are going to open a place that's smaller and then think about building. You didn't do that. You, you went all in and that had to be probably one of the more scary things, I would think. Terrifying. Uh, uh, absolutely terrifying. So, um, you know, substantially, it, it, it's not it's not a cheap it's not a cheap endeavor to open up a brewery. No. And then when you add a uh, and then add a restaurant to that, right? Uh, we also uh, did a gut rehab on a on a on a property in a building uh, on Western Avenue that was not in the best shape. So there was a, there was a ton of infrastructure stuff we had to do to this building as well to make it, uh, to make it accommodate a restaurant and a brewery. Uh, and uh, financing that and writing those checks, it's, it's, not, for, it's not for the weary for sure. Uh, luckily though, uh, anybody that's looking to do any sort of redevelopment project or a bar or restaurant, if you have a good partnership with a general contractor, that's the first place you should start. Is making sure that the general contractor you select is somebody that you can work with because you will have arguments and you will have to kiss and make up and you will have to finish the project and uh uh i got i got really lucky with the general contractor that we worked the general contractor company that we worked with uh for the build out actually ended up becoming a really good friend of mine and um he helped me get this place open like so many other people well, one of the things I'm sitting here thinking about was, okay, you're working on that, you're doing all that. How did you know that the beer you were making was good? That when, once point. you open, you'd be yeah, you'd be able to make good beer that people want to come in and get. Right. So I I, I was a home brewer for before the before we opened. I, I had been home brewing for a solid ten years at that point. And my home, uh, and I put a lot of time and effort. Um, and uh, educating myself on how to, how to make really good homebrew and uh, built a really nice brewery in the basement of my house. Um, we, you know, I had pipe fitters come out and run natural gas into a brewing system. I had conical fermenters in my basement. I was building grain mills. Uh, we had a really nice homebrew setup and we were making good beer uh, towards the end of that end of that experience. But I also didn't have any. Uh, uh, I'm not delusional either. And I also knew the stakes were high. So. Uh, not having a ton of confidence in my ability to transition quickly from a homebrew system to the professional setting, I, I went to the street and and hired a and, and found a brewer to help me get the place opened up. There was too much at stake. Um, you know, I, I can figure things out over time, but you know, if it took us two or three months to dial dial the beer in, especially in an ultra and uh, hyper competitive beer market in the Chicagoland area, uh, I didn't want to. Um, handicap us handicap us at the beginning so um i so we hired a brewer to help us when we first launched and, and you had mentioned by the way you had mentioned in the intro that uh i'm the brewer here that that's not so much the case um i wish i could okay. say that i was the brewer but um that's the other that's the other um, surprise you find out when you start a start a business or a small business that is a, a passion project, you're probably not going to have enough time to do the things that really got you into that passion in the first place. I don't have, sure. I don't have enough time to brew it. Right? So, uh, cause we're running a business and, uh, I, you know, I, we went, we went, we found a professional to actually do that for us. Yeah. And, and that, it, it, cause it's funny because 
I'm looking, and I remember when I was there, I was there with a guy named Matt Cooper, He's who started doing radio in Louisville, and we've always wanted to meet. And he said, well, I, he said, where should we go? I said, where are you going to be? He said, I'll be in the city. I said, good. Let's go to Open Outcry. We met there, and we had a great time. I don't even think we ate. I think we didn't have enough time for that. But I looked, and people that were coming in, it was tremendous. Um, it was a nice little flow. And this was, boy, this might have been just before, might have been just before COVID or yeah. yeah, I think it had to be just before COVID. And it was, um, it was always good. But when you're looking at doing this, how do you how do you know what to I mean, most places that open breweries and I, people always ask me, they go, why are so many breweries in industrial areas? I say it's easy to get the space. Space is cheaper. You don't have to worry about it. Like you were saying, and I don't know if I'm pounding on the same thing, but it was a big thing. You're in the middle of a street. You're on Western Avenue. You're in the city. You got two stories. You got a kitchen. You got all that stuff. And um, just how was day one? Because a lot of breweries are closed early in the week because they're brewing beer. You with a restaurant and everything, you really can't afford to do that, can you? No. Uh, the economics of a is a brew. We operate as a brew pub. We have a brew pub license, and the economics of a brew pub. And, and running a brew pub is uh, a world away from running a, a production brewery that's whose business is, you know, tap room sales three three nights a week and production canning distribution. Much different. We have a restaurant. Right. We have a kitchen. We have kitchen staff. We have to make payroll not only for the brewery, but for the kitchen staff as well. And our serving staff, we're open seven days a week. Uh, from a operations perspective, it, it runs and functions like a restaurant. Um, right. And I spend just as much time uh, firefighting and solving problems in the kitchen as I as I do in the brewery. Uh, you know, here, the interesting thing was I, I didn't. Although I spent two years writing a business plan, I, I didn't even really know I was getting into the restaurant business. I, I you know, we did have a kitchen and uh, we I was super enthusiastic about uh, uh, firing up wood fired pizzas and serving that with with beer. But to the extent that this community in the neighborhood here was going to view us or use us or expect us to operate like a full service restaurant was a little, a little, a little surprising. And but as soon as we realized that, maybe a week or two into it, I remember saying to our general manager Lindsay, uh, I said, "Hey, I guess we're a restaurant, so we got to act act as if." And uh, it's what this neighborhood wanted, so that's what we worked hard to deliver deliver to them. That's cool. I mean, because like you said, you started to open a brewery and all of a sudden now you're a restaurant owner and beer is part of it. Obviously a big part of it. But like I said, when I looked at your menu, I was expecting just to see the Neapolitan pizzas. But it's not just that. It's everything, you know, with your yeah. appetizers and sandwiches and everything else. Yeah, the kitchen like the brewery continues to evolve. It's based on what what is what is our customers and what do our guests want? What does this neighborhood want? And, um, you know, it's the south side of Chicago, man. All, all, not only is it Chicago area uber competitive with beer, but I mean, we're talking pizza on the south side of Chicago. So um, competitive there. Right. And there's a ton of pizza options on the south side. So we did uh, over time, we based on feedback, we would layer other things into the food menu. Sandwiches, our burgers are great, great appetizers, cheese curds, pretzels, th a lot of things that we can cook in the wood fired oven. So we have uh, listened to what our guests in this community wants and we've adapted and we've evolved and we're, we're trying to provide folks with what they want, both on the, on the kitchen side and on the, on the brewery side. In the city of Chicago, there's peace up North on North Avenue. That's a new Haven style pizza. It's a little bit different, yeah. um, but that's, that's a place pizza and beer and things like that. That's mainly pizza. And I know they have appetizers and things like that. Did you, did you look at that at all when you were coming up? Or had you been there before? Is it was it an idea that you thought maybe you could carry that way, or was that just by coincidence? No, um, peace was a model for us as well. You know, I spent ten years going to breweries and brew pubs. And sure. Every brewery and brew pub I went to for ten years, I had a notebook with me, and I would take yeah. notes: what I liked, what I didn't like, how I wanted uh, our space to flow, or how I wanted to serve our guests, or the aesthetics of of, of the the tap room. Peace was definitely one of those places. Peace has been open for what, 20, 25 years now? I think so, yeah. And it's a great place. It's a great experience. New Haven Pizza is not too bad with with a, <laughs> with, a, with, a, with a pint of beer. Um, yeah. So Peace, uh, 
piece was definitely one of the models we looked at. The other was uh, what really drove what we originally wanted to do was, I don't know if you ever went to, did you ever go to Founders back in the day, maybe 20 years ago in Grand Rapids? Uh, no. Before they had their massive, their massive growth and expansion? No. Back in the day when Founders opened up, they, they were a, a tap room, much larger brewery than what we are right now, but uh, they had a tap room with a little food window off in the corner where you would go up to the window and order your food and they would give you a number, then bring your food out to you. That really was the inspiration for what I, what I thought we were building here uh, until, like I said, after two weeks or so after we opened up and the community made it clear that they wanted us to operate and function more like a full service restaurant. Uh, so, so the other interesting thing you learn about opening up any business is that you can spend years agonizing over every word in a business plan and what you think is going to happen. Uh, but that's a lot of times that's not what happens. And the operator has to be flexible, be willing to adapt and be willing to listen to what, what the, what your, your customers are telling you and then, and then, and then evolve. Right. I mean, when, when you first opened and beer wise, was there a beer or two that you thought was going to be a staple? And then all of a sudden you decided, you know what, people are liking something else better and you switched it. Or was the, in your opinion, what you guys thought was going to be like your, your, your number one or number two beer is yes. that stick around. Is that still there? So that's still there. Uh, in fact, um, it is a home brewer. The, 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 the number one beer I like brewing the, the most was it's actually what I'm drinking right now. It's our uh, our cream ale. Okay. I, I can't tell you why I've always just loved this beer. I've had a, I, I I love the style. You know, I grew up drinking Little Kings and Genesee and sure. easier drinking lagers, and I just always loved the beer and loved the style. And uh, it was a beer that I brewed a lot as a home brewer and tried to set the stage for scaling that up a production scale. And that was the beer I wanted to be our um, our flagship, the beer, the, the beer that made up the, the biggest percentage of our overall sales. And that still is the case today. This beer right now makes up between 25 and 30% of our sales. Okay. Um, it's, um, I think a lot of people recognize it as, you know, one of the leading pre-mails in the Chicagoland area. Um, we, we brew it every week. We sell a ton of it. Uh, it was also a really good beer for this part of the city, which uh, not so much anymore because mm -hmm. craft beer is now mainstream and everybody knows everything about every beer style but right. you know, five, six seven eight years ago maybe the south side was just slightly behind the curve in terms of uh beer education and, and and being open to trying different things and i thought the cream ale would be a really nice gateway beer for us to introduce uh the, our community in the south side uh into craft beer now other people we're already open and doing a good job of that, like Blue Island Beer Company and Horse Steve Hollow up the street. They've been open for a couple of years and had really been proof of concept that craft beer does work on the South Side. But I, I wanted to use the cream ale as, a, as an introduction introduction into, uh, you know, some of the some, you know, some of the people in the neighborhood that aren't necessarily reaching for a craft beer when they go out to a bar or restaurant. And and that has worked for us. It, it, yeah, it, it's, it's a beer that's approachable. It's clean. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's really, really, really delicious. And then, um, that will allow me once, once somebody comes in, they say, I don't drink craft beer, which I drink. I offer them this. Right. And then I can say, did you like that? And they say, yes. And then, and then we can start talking about different things like IPAs and stouts and hazies and all the other interesting beer styles that are out there. Well, I saw that you just, you guys just had a, um, a yesterday or today, the uh, dark pool Russian Imperial Stout with Mexican chocolate, and um, that's that sounds like it's a wonderful beer. The Mexican uh, chocolate kicks in. <laughs> yeah, it, it it sells really well. We get a really nice reaction to this beer. We put it on two, maybe three times a year, and when we put when we put that beer out, uh, that's the one that will drive foot traffic with uh, with a lot of the. Um, you know the the, the the beer heads out there in the sure area. We'll, we'll get people to drive in from the suburbs to try that beer and today yeah. we dropped it today and um uh we were busy and have yeah. you know maybe a third of the people came in to try that beer yeah it's amazing the beer the beer drinkers out there we're gonna my i my girlfriend told me uh 
about a month ago now. She said, you know what? She goes, you got an addiction. I said, I can stop drinking whatever I want. She goes, no, no, no. You got an addiction that you've got to try the newest thing. You got to have the newest thing. You got to go out and make sure you search it out. And I said, yeah, you're right. And I talked to Josh Noel about it. He goes, yeah. He goes, FOMO is real. He goes, uh, you you got to make sure that if there's something there and it piques your interest, you want to try it and you want to taste it. And you're right. The beer people, if they see something on social media, social media is so huge because you put out that you're going to drop this. And next thing you know, you open the door and people are waiting. Where's this beer? I want. I came here for this. It's pretty damn amazing um, that people that love craft beer will search it out. They'll find what they're looking for. And that, that's wonderful because we've talked so many times on this podcast about the whole community, the craft beer community and how they all bond together. And no other business really has people that everybody wants everybody else to succeed. And it's the most amazing thing. And I, I tell people that and they go, no way. I mean, I worked in radio. Talk about cutthroat. It's like, let's get the story before they do. And let's do this before they do. But in, in beer, it's like, no. It, like, if you if someone comes in and asks you for something, say, listen, I've tasted this. Go try theirs over there. But until then, check this out. And they'll do that. I've had that from numerous breweries. Uh, it's real. Um, it has changed a little bit over the last couple of years as the space has gotten more more competitive and there's more, more breweries. But right. I think that by and large, the people that, uh, get into this are, I think there were some similar experiences mine where they did, you know, I did 20 years, uh, you know, working in a corporate America and, um, I don't know, you, you, you get tired of, you get tired of all that in the politics and all. And yes, all you do. And then you enter, uh, and then you enter a space where every, everybody left something they didn't like to come here and do this. And uh, by and large, for the most part, 99% of, uh, of, of people in the industry out there feel the same way. There is still a sense of community. Uh, Horse Thief Hollow is three blocks away from us to the north, and Blue Island Beer Company is uh, about a mile and a half to the south. And we're always uh, chatting with each other. You know, Neil at Horse Thief can't tell you how many times he's let me borrow a forklift, or, you know, we have a a glycol issue and he says hey i got a glycol guy and we'll you know that's stuff sure sure yeah it's me and i just just recently had a few beers from uh blue island brewing company because one of their guys knows uh randy merkin a guy from our station quite well and he had given him uh two four packs of beer and randy doesn't drink beer so when i told randy i was retiring he goes here come to the come to the kitchen he gave me two four packs of uh blue island beer and every one i tried was awesome absolutely amazing and uh it's great because there is so much great beer out there. Do you um, do you can things? Because I haven't seen a lot of open outcry in cans. So we operate as a brew pub. 100% of our sales uh, in the four years that we've been open have been on on premise. Uh, okay. We have not uh, we have not tiptoed yet into uh, canning or bottling and then distribution and getting our beer out in the world yet. Um, Maybe that's an opportunity for us in the future. But right now, we've had a really, really we've we've experienced a lot of success with making beer and selling beer here in the tap room to the south side. And uh, we do do we have we have crawler seaming machine. So uh, you know we do a lot of crawlers. You want to get a thirty-two? You're here. You had a pizza and a beer, and it was a beer that you tried that you really liked. Um, you can order a thirty-two ounce crawler can to go. Uh, right. We do do a lot of those. But you're right, Fred. You haven't seen us in. Binnies or liquor stores or on draft anywhere else because it's just not it's not part of our business at the moment. So like you were saying earlier, and it makes sense because the people that are uh, breweries with tap rooms, their goal is oh do this and get out. Where yours was yours turned. Yours was restaurant and uh, food and beer and like you said, it became a restaurant even more so, or you know a brewery and restaurant, which is interesting. So you're so when you we were planning it, you never. That was not in the plans, initial plans, or was it anywhere? It's in the plans. Uh, okay. The, the The idea was let, let's let's op let's uh, open up a brew pub. Let's figure how to let's figure this business out. Let's build a brand. Let's make sure we know how to brew beer well, right, and consistently, and um, uh, earn trust with the people that know 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 our name and our brand, and then. If the opportunity presents itself or the market and it makes sense in a, a, a very ultra competitive and quickly changing market, then we would 
we would scale and, and um, enter enter that space. But uh, obviously, with the pandemic, um, that's yeah. uh, that's, that's thrown a curveball to a lot of you know strategic plans that all companies have made. And the same as with us, 2021 is a different story. We're looking to go a little bit go a little bit more on the offense this year. And, and um, uh, ultimately, I you know, our ultimate goal was to was to get out there in the marketplace and see if they're is a spot for us out there and see if people yeah. respond to our beer and our brand. Well, you, you mentioned already your favorite style and uh, your favorite beer, your cream ale. So I always ask people about that, but I also, I like to ask people about the name. How did, uh, where did open outcry come from? Uh, open outcry is that term that describes um, the pits down at the Chicago board of trade and the, and the C uh, and the CME. Okay. Uh, with all the yelling and the screaming and the hand, hand signals, that's an open outcross style market. Uh, I I was in the industry for under 20, 18 years, 19 years. I loved it. I loved what I did. Uh, I loved the people I made, uh, made friends with in that industry. And uh, it was hard leaving it, but I felt like the name, because of my love for the markets and trading and all that. Sure. Um, and then we were going to start this business. I felt like that embracing that would tell my story and our story and that has driven the names uh the names of all our beers and a lot of our branding as well yeah that's very very cool john i appreciate you taking some time i got to get out there um out to the bur and you know what because of all of the other ones i'll get someone else to drive and i'll stop at all of them horse thief and blue island and you guys and i'll stop at you for the food uh looking forward to getting out there when the weather gets a little bit better, uh, not that it's bad right now. It's actually still pretty nice out. Yeah, for for Chicago in uh, in uh, yeah. January is not too shabby. So, yeah. but appreciate you jumping on. Uh, I was looking forward to talking to you. The nice thing is, when I started doing this, there's so many beer places, and uh, I knew that I'd be able to rely rely on you and uh, and grab you on and uh, appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Yeah. Thank Fred. You're a legend, man. Thanks for having me on. It's really nice to talk to you. Appreciate. Thanks, it. John. Appreciate it. Uh, can't wait to get one of those cream ales. John Brand from Open Outcry Brewing. It's a 10934 Southwestern. And again, uh, Neapolitan Pizza. It's a great place, a great location. And uh, right there on a fam you know, famous street, Western. I mean, you know, goes all the way from the south side, all the way up north. Heck, I was just at the United Center the other day. Yeah, watching the Bulls and the Golden State Warriors. And saying that, that leads me into, actually, uh what's up Fred's can and we'll do that well maybe it's just because you're ugly ugly you gotta be kidding me oh, come on! time for what's up Fred's can on 1252 sports chicago as I look over to the TV, it appears the Cardinals have decided not to show up. And uh, even though they have a running back, they decided not to run the ball at all. But anyway, that's my own problems. Um, okay, went to the Bulls game the other day. I was supposed to go with my girlfriend's son-in-law, Dennis. And Dennis says, listen, I'm going to go for a rapid COVID test because my kids have COVID. And uh, I feel fine. There's no symptoms or anything. So let me go for this. I said, that's fine. This was Friday. They're playing the Warriors. And um, so I'm waiting and waiting. And he calls me. He said, I just got it. They said, it might not be two hours. I said, you know, I'm not concerned. I'm boosted and all that stuff. And five minutes later, the phone rings. And Dennis says, I'm positive. So I'm going to go home. So I went to the game with my girlfriend, Linda. And we drive down to the United Center. And we park across the street and grab our masks and get inside. And um, they... Now it's not only your VAX card, but they also need to see your ID because they want to make sure your ID and your VAX card match, which is technically a good idea. And um, so we get inside, go to our seats, love, we got there in time for the open and everything else. And, the you know, the Bulls, they shut the lights off. It's pretty funny how in the open that you see on TV, they used to have the Bulls, as they ran through the city, run right into the team's bus, and the bus would explode. I guess someone said that's not PC. So now they run towards the bus. People run off the bus, but they don't see you don't see the Bulls hit the bus. Jeez. God, this world. Um, 
so anyway, we're, we're there watching the game, and the Bulls are not playing well. And uh, it was bad. Um, and Zach Levine gets hurt in like the first two minutes of the game. And the Bulls are turning the ball over, and they're missing all their shots. And I was supposed to go see Sebastian Maniscalco with my girlfriend, Linda. But she got sick, so I went with my sister. So Linda did not see Sebastian Maniscalco. But as we were watching the Bulls, every time they had a turnover, which they had a plenty, plenty of them. And every time they missed a shot, an easy shot, Linda would turn to me and start laughing. And I told her, I said, you know, you're probably laughing more at the Bulls than you would have laughed at Sebastian Maniscalco. We both love him. So she would have laughed a lot, but it was a bad, brutal, awful game. So halftime comes, third quarter starts. First time out in the third quarter, I said, you know what? Good time to go get something to eat. So we go out, we get in line, and the line doesn't move. And there's people all through the concourse at every concession stand line, and they're not moving. There's five or six people between every concession stand, but they have four or five lines at each one. Now, maybe that's the mistake. Have two lines so everybody can help instead of five registers where nobody's helping anybody. But again, I'm not, uh, nobody asked me. We stood in line. We finally get our food. And Linda's good for me because she calms me down. Because I could just say, let's go. Hurry up. What are we waiting for? And that would have just not got me anywhere. And I would just been frustrated. So we're standing there and I'm trying to be patient. And we finally get, I only wanted one hot dog. But then I was in line so long, I got a second hot dog. And she got nachos. And I had no beers. No beers. I had a soda. And um, we get out of line. And then they flipped the, after they put in, what the bill is, they flip the screen and they want you to tip them. Okay, I'm standing in line for 25 minutes to get a couple of hot dogs and now you're asking me to tip you. Okay, I gave them a tip because that's just the kind of guy I am. But it's like, what the hell is going on? You know, you don't, you shouldn't be tipping. We're going to we're getting out of our seat, going and standing in line, and you're giving it all you're doing is taking our order and handing us our food, but you're looking for a tip. I don't know. I just don't understand it. Um, but that's one thing up that's up my can. But the other thing is the whole concession. We got back to our seat. So we went the first time out in the third quarter, it was about three minutes in. We got back to our seat at the start of the fourth quarter. Now it didn't matter. They were losing by 30. I think they lost by 40 something. Okay. So it didn't matter. We weren't missing anything. But there's got to be a better way, doesn't there? If you go to the games religiously, and if you're a Bulls fan, you can't get out of your seat to go to get a go to the concession stand because you're never going to get back to your seat to see any of the game. You can't go between quarters or at halftime because it's way too crowded. Um, I know. You know what the re- you know what the explanation is? What you got to do is you got to have a sky suite, so all the food's already there. Or you got to be in one of those seats where you order the food and they bring it to your seat. That's what you got to do. You got to have enough money to not be um, inconvenienced by standing in line. That's what we've gotten to in sports nowadays. It really sucks. Used to be so nice. You'd get out of your seat. Baseball, inning ended. You run up, concession stand, grab two hot dogs, get back to your seat. Boom. Before the next pitch in the next inning. Can't do that anymore. That's why. I'm looking at my two couches right here. It's the perfect place to watch any sporting event. My couches. There's a bathroom here, a fridge here, and I got a food and a refrigerator upstairs. People have asked me for years, why don't you go to more games? There's nothing more annoying than going to a game, having someone sit next to you, having someone yell. There was a lady sitting across the aisle from me. Every time DeMar DeRozan got the ball and scored, she kept going, DeMarvelous! Jeez, I looked at Linda. I said, this isn't going to go well. And as it turned out, the game didn't. The game was brutal. But we stayed till the very end. And, uh, yeah, I probably will not go into another Bulls game for another 10 or 12 years. Because, again, TVs, couches, very, very comfortable. So just the whole experience of going to games. I know people love to go to sporting events. And I was very, very happy to get a chance to go see the Bulls play. Uh, because the atmosphere is wonderful. But Jesus, there's got to be other people that are real patient and don't care about exactly the game. 
Because if you care about every possession, every play, every watching your guys do stuff, you can't ever get up. You can't get up to go to the bathroom, can't get up to get a drink, can't get up to get food because you'll miss at least four or five minutes of action. Okay, that's all I got. Um, again, condolences to my guy, Les Grobstein. Uh, Les will miss you. Don't forget to uh, catch David Schuster uh, tomorrow. Uh, keep an eye on uh, for 1252 on Facebook and on Twitter and David's uh, feeds and everything as uh, they're planning on having a show talking about uh, Bless. And um, I will not be able to jump on in. I got other plans for tomorrow night. But uh, Les will always be a big part of Chicago Sports Radio. And uh, he was there when it started. And uh, he was there at Sports Phone with us. And uh, he was the guy, him and Mark G. and Greco were the guys that had the Lee Elia sound uh, when Lee Elia was the manager of the Cubs. And uh, each and every year they would celebrate that. And now from now on, that'll be celebrated as, uh, you know, we'll celebrate less along with the Lee Elia soundbite uh, for when Lee Elia was a Cubs manager. So thanks to Mike for uh, running everything today. Thanks to John Brand from Open Outcry Brewing. Again, 10934 Southwestern. Head on out there, like he said, open seven days a week and uh, get some great beer. We will be back next week. We'll get Ike Orcutt on from uh, Buckle Down Brewing. Cannot wait. We'll talk more about the uh, NFL playoff games next week as it'll be divisional playoff round. We'll have all kinds of uh, good stuff going on. Thanks for watching. And, uh, again, somebody mentioned, because I, I was promoting it, he goes, Fred, I thought you retired. What, just eight days? Listen, I retired from radio. I didn't retire from life, okay? Uh, I need somewhere to vent, uh, and this is a perfect place to uh to vent let's see here pig dog video says what is it going to take for you to come back full-time to radio people want to know uh i want to show with you pappy and brian hanley that would be a dream team let's make it happen in 2022 <sighs> you can get hanley in north i don't want to have to be on a schedule of anything my only schedule is going to be uh going from my couch to my my bed and uh enjoying life for as much as I can, because again, as I said at the beginning of the show, enough people I know have uh, not made it after retirement for long. And uh, my goal is to live as long as I can and enjoy the hell out of everything that I possibly can. And uh, hopefully the sports teams in Chicago don't let me down and bring me down at all. Thanks to Fat Mike for all of his help today. Thanks to John Brand. And thanks to you for listening and watching as it's uh, Hughes, Views, and Brews back again next Monday here on the 1252 Network. Thanks a lot.